Yep. Okay. So it was my fault. It wasn't your fault. Um, tonight we're going to continue uh, our thought process on being fearless and be and the uh, defenders of the faith. And you think about what it takes to be fearless. Last night uh, we talked about uh, the accuracy of the things in which Luke wrote about. You know, for us to be bold, for us to be fearless, we have to make sure that uh, what we are saying is true. And if we have confidence in what we're saying is true, then, you know, we're going to be able to defend the faith as we should be able to. And tonight we're going to look at another Bible character, someone who did just that, and that's defend the faith. Uh, but before we get into Peter, I want us to think about something tonight. Have you heard the name Michael Phelps? Anybody heard that name? You heard them, Mike? Michael Phelps. In 2008, he won eight gold medals for swimming. Uh, that was the most that was ever won in a, in a single Olympics, and he won it for swimming. And the question is asked, how could he win that many medals? Well, he's at the right place at the right time. But think about this. Okay, say I was in Beijing in 2008, and I was there at the Olympics. You think I would have won eight gold medals? <laughs> don't, don't be so quick to answer. Think about it for a minute now. <laughs> I mean, just give it a little bit of time. But no, I wouldn't have. Why, why would he have won eight gold medals and I'm not? Yeah, I don't swim that fast. You know, you can look at me. I, I swim rather slow, so if a shark ever gets af after me, I'm, I'm done for. It doesn't make any difference. But how did he do that? He, he, he could swim faster than anybody else at that time. And you think about that. So he was at the right place in the right time, but it wasn't just about that. It was about that he was ready. He was prepared. As a matter of fact, he was interviewed, and since he was seven years old, he even wrote on a piece of paper when he was seven years old, I want to win in the Olympics. So he'd been training and preparing for that for his whole life. As a matter of fact, before the 2008 Olympics, he actually uh, spent some five years in constant training. And they asked him, did you ever take a day off? How many days did you take off in that five-year period? And he said, zero. He didn't take off for Christmas. He didn't take off for his birthday. He didn't take off for anything. He spent somewhere between six and eight hours a day swimming and some two hours a day or so um, lifting weights and preparing and, and, and exercising. He said he, he ate over 12,000 calories. Now, I can do that. Uh, I do that on a regular basis, I think, except there's a little difference in how he does it and how I do it. But he prepared himself. He, he prepared himself for that goal. He was in the right place at the right time, and he was ready when that time came. Well, you take, for example, Peter here. As we think about him, Peter was ready. He was in the right place at the right time. Now, uh, he was there in Jerusalem. He was there at Pentecost when he delivered that first uh, gospel message as he ushered the church in. And, and as he did it there in Acts chapter 2, he, he did it in such a way of boldness and with fearlessness. And he presented that message and it caused individuals to be cut to the heart. And they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do to be saved? 
So Peter tells them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, how was Peter ready? Peter had prepared himself. Now, if we look back, we see that, uh, you remember when, when Jesus was crucified, after he was crucified and he was taken down from the cross, what did they do? Peter and others, they went back to their occupation. Peter said, I'm going fishing. Peter went back fishing. And as he uh, went, and as he's fishing, remember they're all out there in the boat, and they pull up this giant net of, of fish, and they see Jesus on the seashore, and, and they come in, and in essence, he's preparing them breakfast, and they realize that he's the resurrected Lord, and as they're discussing, and in this process, Jesus tells them to go to Jerusalem and wait. Now, Peter's not one that was very good at waiting, was he? Matter of fact, he wasn't very good at that time and many times of actually following directions. He let Jesus down. He let God down many times. Remember even in the Garden of Gethsemane when, when Jesus went a little farther, what did he tell Peter and them to do? Wait here and pray. Peter wasn't good at waiting to come back. He was asleep. So he wasn't good at waiting. He wasn't good at really following directions. But, but in the meantime, Peter started preparing himself. And he, he did exactly what God said to do. He, he did exactly what Jesus said. He was there waiting. And when he got there, and as they were waiting, something happened. So it wasn't just about Peter being in the right place at the right time. It wasn't just about him preparing himself. Peter had some power behind him. Now, if you were going to do something as Peter was charged to do, and, and which was usher in the church, and you needed some power, people think you may need political power, you might need money, you might need things of this nature. If you're, if you're going to do something that great in that locale at that time, you're going to need some kind of power. Well, Peter did have power. Remember, Jesus said that he would send power, he'd send the Holy Spirit there to help them. And he did come. Remember, he come as, as, as tongues of fire that laid on each one of them, and each one of them spoke in a different language, and those individuals heard in their own language. That was that power as he presented that message. Paul says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, it's the gospel that's the power of God unto salvation. So Peter was able to be fearless because he had that power. But notice the, the, it was that right time and that right moment and, and, and Peter was ready, he was prepared, he had that power and all the people that was there was the ones who needed to be there. That day over 3,000 people were converted and added to the church. The Lord added them to the church, didn't he? These people, they were devout Jews. They were from every province all over the nation. They were, I mean, all these gobs of people but... Peter was fearless enough to stand up and preach that message. Now here's the thing I want us to think about as we go through this lesson tonight. I want us to think about when our time comes, when there's something prepared for us, when there's something set aside, when, when God has this thing for us to do, and that opportunity arises, and with that opportunity comes responsibility to do it as we have the ability to do it. When that does, are we going to be ready? Are we preparing ourselves so we can be ready? You know, there's a lot of things that, that God asks us to do as a child of His. And, and part of that is to be fearless and to defend the faith. Are we in a position to do that when the time arises? 
If I was to ask you, are you sure of what you believe, can you say yes and tell me why? Are you able to tell someone else why you believe what you believe? Not that you believe, but why you believe it. Not just going through the motions, not just going through the actions, but truly believing it and knowing why. See, Peter prepared himself. So as we go through this lesson tonight, I want you to have that in your mind. I want you to think about that and ask yourself, are you ready when the time comes as Peter was? So let's look at the sermon. And I tried to figure out some way since there's so much material not to read all of it, but there really wasn't any way. So we're going to go through this sermon uh, tonight and we're going to read it and kind of talk about it here. In Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 14, it says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and to heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which you are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this with which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord has said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, 
whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Now can you imagine if you was tasked with this sermon? This is actually the, the, the last will and testament of Jesus Christ, if you will. You know, when, when you have a situation to where you have someone die, then you have, if there's an inheritance, you have a reading of the will. Well, 53 days before this, you had that very thing, and now you have the reading of the will. So, so Peter is tasked with these individuals. Now, remember who he's standing in front of. He's standing in front of this crowd whom he has actually said, You crucified the Son of God. Do you think that's pretty fearless? think that's pretty bold? But again, Peter was ready. Peter was in a, the right place at the right time. Peter had the power behind him. And Peter delivered exactly what the Lord said for him to do. So let's start this out. What did Peter start out with? Well, the first thing that he started out with to be bold and fearless in, in his faith in delivering this message, he had to start out with some common reasoning, some common sense. Because the first thing that he was faced with was an accusation. Remember verse 13, what they said? These guys are drunk. See, they were asking. They seen all of the ruckus that took place with, with the Holy Spirit coming upon them. They heard the loud noise and, and felt the wind and felt all of this going on and they're trying to figure out what's going on. Then they see these individuals who they can't figure out how they're able to speak in their language. But actually the miracle was they heard in their own language. But they're trying to figure out how all of this is working. So some come along and say, I'll tell you what's happening. These men are drunk. Now, I've seen some drunk individuals sounding like they were speaking in tongues before. But Peter here, notice how he handles this. Peter starts with just basic common sense and reasoning. Notice, Exhibit A. He talks about the time of day when, when he's uh, uh, faced with this accusation. Notice what he says in verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for they are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. Peter, all he's doing here, he's doing something that a lot of people in religion forget to do, is use common sense. A lot of people take common sense out of the equation when they're talking about religion. They can't rationalize things and they can't use their common sense of reasoning and logic. That's all Peter does here. He says it's but the third hour of the day. They started their day at sunrise at 6 o'clock. Here it's only the third hour of the day, so it's only 9 o'clock. He says they're not drunk, it's only 9 o'clock. Now they could be saying, or we could say today, well, I've seen if somebody's really a drunk, I've seen them drunk at 9 o'clock before. But you've got to understand the crowd that he's talking to. Devout Jews, Orthodox Jews at that time, on feast days, on Pentecost, on the Sabbath, they didn't eat or drink anything before 9 o'clock. Some of them before 10 o'clock, some even to noon uh, to noontime. So Peter is using reasoning that they will understand. So before he gets into the meat of his lesson, he just handles this accusation at the very beginning. He says they're not drunk because it's only third hour of the day. And you know what that means. I can just hear him telling them that. They're, I can see them reasoning. Okay, yeah, nobody should be eating or drinking up to now if they're the, the type of Jews that they're supposed to be. So Peter starts out here just with logic and reasoning as he develops his lesson. 
Then notice, then he goes into the meat of his lesson, the prophecy of Joel. And this is really what he needs to say to them because they need to understand. Now remember, the group of individuals that he's talking to here have studied the scriptures. They know what the prophet said. As they read these scriptures, as they listen to the scriptures and, and, and see all the prophets and all the prophecies that, that's been made, they should understand it. But as always, there's a misconception. There's a misunderstanding. They've twisted it to mean something else. So Peter's going to explain it to them here. And he's going to do it with uh, um, a great deal of, I think, of fearlessness of defending the faith. Now the prophecy that he, he quotes here is from Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. Now we're not going to go through and read all of it. I just want to hit the highlights of it as you go down through the prophecy of Joel that, that he's talking about here. He says, I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Now Peter, when he's talking about Joel, he said, this is that. He says, you want, he's answering their question. They're wanting to know, what is all of this that's happening? I, 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 I see all of this. I, I hear all of this thunder. I feel all of this wind. There's all of this ruckus. And these men are able to do things. We're able to hear things that, that I didn't think that I would hear from these individuals. We don't understand what's happening. He's already reasoned with us that they're not drunk. So what is it? So Peter says, this is that. This, what you're seeing now is what Joel prophesied about. He said, I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Peter says, you're seeing that now. The spirit has been poured out. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 46, we see that the same thing happened at the house of Cornelius. Remember, Peter seen the, seen the vision. It was prepared to him to be able to go to a Gentile's house, which could have cost him his life and his reputation and all of these things. He shouldn't even have been there. But God prepared the way for him to go so they could receive the Spirit. So again, what was the whole purpose of, of Jesus dying on the cross? What's the purpose of, of, of Peter uh, ushering in the church here to bring Jew and Gentile together? So Peter says here, here's where you see that take place. You're seeing it's taking place starting here on the day of Pentecost and going through these last days. It's not a last day. Joel wasn't talking about the end of time. Joel was talking about that last uh, dispensation that's beginning here, some, what, 53 days after the death of Christ, to where he's reading the will, where he's ushering in the church. He's saying, here's where it's beginning. Here's what Joel is saying is happening. And Peter made reference to it in Acts chapter 11 when he recounts what happened with Cornelius. He said, they received the Spirit as we did on the day of Pentecost. So you see it transpiring over this time of, of Joel's prophecy being ushered in at this time. They should have known that. And he's going to explain some different things that they should have known if they read and studied the scriptures that they should. So he's answering their question, what is all this? It's exactly what Joel said it was. It's ushering in of the Spirit. But notice it says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Romans 12 and 6 tells us about that. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, when you see different things and, and gifts in the church, there was a lot of gifts that the apostles, as they laid their hands on individuals, that they were able to do. So again, you're seeing this prophecy take out. There were individuals that were able to prophesy. You've seen individuals here that had visions. Your young men shall see visions. Verse 17, Peter himself is a good example of that. He's seen a vision that prepared him to go, go to Cornelius' house. 
So what Peter is doing is laying out, again, a logical platform of, okay, you want to know what's going on? It's the prophet Joel, just as he said it was. This is taking place now. Can you imagine how they would have felt? I think even starting now, before he even gets into the, uh, the things about Jesus, I think you can see that he's already convicting them to where they're looking, okay, yeah, we, we, we should have known this. But see, now it's right in front of their face, just like Jesus was right in front of their face as a Messiah, but yet they refuse to accept it. Just like here, but he's telling them, this is what you're seeing. What you're seeing is what Joel prophesied. He says, your old men shall dream dreams. Now, I, I thought about this one and tried to uh, uh, find some things on it. You won't actually find within the uh, uh, New Testament there of actually the dreams being dreamed, but what you do find is the visions at night, which to me, if I'm asleep and I have a vision at night, that's a dream, isn't it? It's the same thing, and that's what he's actually uh, talking about here. So what he's, what he's talking about, again, it's not the last day, the end of time. It's here's where it's beginning, the power that's coming, and it's going to proceed out with apostles and who they laid their hands on. So you're seeing these things take place and these necessary things that needs to take place in order for the church to be ushered in. And we're going to see that as Peter goes through his lesson here. He said, I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. Verses 19 through 20 of his, of his sermon. Now there's a lot of different things that this could mean. Because there's a lot of things that this was shown. When he said signs in heaven and actually uh, signs on earth. And then he went on and talked about blood and vapor and, and how the moon is turned and all this. There's a, there's a lot of times that could have been. Many people I, I've heard in the religious world go to uh, this and say this is talking about the end of time. That's not what Peter was talking about here. That's not what Joel was talking about. Peter said this is that. This is what you're going to see now. They've seen that with the crucifixion of Christ himself. Even Pilate even uh, uh, wrote at one time about how He's he seen the moon and how it was darkness and the earthquake and how the veil uh, ripped into it, the temple, and, and all the signs and wonders that God made then. But then you can actually go to the destruction of Jerusalem in uh, uh, A.D. 70. When the when, uh, uh, destruction of Jerusalem, when the army surrounded the city, it was smoke and it was vapors and the, the moon was as blood and it said, as the day of the Lord comes... That's what he was talking about, when it, the destruction of that. That's the last days. It's about that Jewish system as it become with, with Jerusalem and the temple and all that being destroyed. See, we could even go into Matthew 24 here where people misunderstand what Matthew 24, when it talks about all those things that took place, individuals don't use logic and reasoning and common sense. I was talking to an individual just not long ago. And they were discussing, they said they were having a Bible study at the place that they go on uh, Matthew 24 and how all the things, and she was just terrified. Look at all the things that's going to happen at the end of time. And, and, and boy, you better pray that it's not during this time and this time. So I sat down and I said, let's use logic and reason to this. He said, pray that your plot's not in the winter time. Pray that it doesn't happen in the winter. What in the world does the winter time have to do with the end of time? What are you going to do? I mean, how are you going to go? What, what would that matter anyway? It says, pray that it's not on the Sabbath. What would that matter? You can't run. A revelation even tells us at the end of time, you can't go to the mountains and say to the mountains, fall on me and hide from it. You can't hide from it. But if you look at it as the destruction of Jerusalem, which it was, 
then pray that's not on the Sabbath because they locked the gates of the, uh, of the uh, city on the Sabbath. How are they going to get out? And, Jesus go, and Peter goes on and talks about those who call upon the name of the Lord. Let's just go on to that one. And it shall come to pass, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now Peter is not saying here, if I just verbally call on the name of the Lord that salvation is going to come. It won't come to me now. It didn't come to them at destruction of Jerusalem. It's not going to come to me at the end of time. It's not just an audible thing. Matthew chapter 7 and 22, uh, 21 and 22 tells us that. Not everyone says unto me, Lord, Lord, so enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is our heaven. And when he talks about calling on the name of the Lord, just go back to them when he, when he showed all these signs and wonders even with the destruction of Jerusalem. How did those people call on the name of the Lord and find salvation then? They followed his authority and did what he said and left when he told them to leave. So they were able to escape. The ones who didn't call upon the name of the Lord, the ones who didn't do it by his authority, were still there and millions were slaughtered. See, we understand this logic and reason, or we should. We understand calling on the name of something else just in our everyday life. If, if a policeman sees a thief run across the parking lot running with a TV, and he points a gun and says, Stop in the name of the law, what is he saying? By the authority of the law, I can shoot you where you're at if you don't stop. So he understands to stop, because he has that authority to do that. So it's by that authority. And that's what Peter is discussing here. If Peter was discussing that all I had to do was just verbally say, uh, uh, Lord, save me, then when they cried out to him when he was cut to the heart there in uh, verse 37 of this sermon, when he finished this sermon, and they cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Why didn't he tell them then? Just call on the name of the Lord. I've already told you what to do. No, he told them what to do. By that authority. He's reading that will. If they want to be heirs of the one who died, join heirs with him, they have to do what it says to do by that authority. Nothing more, nothing less. So Peter here, as he's fearlessly and boldly delivering this message, can you imagine now Imagine the state in which they're in? You know, I, 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 just, I can remember at one uh, area meeting in India where they said they estimated in around 10,000 people being there. I thought, I don't have a chance if they decide to run and kill me. It'll be over with. And then, uh, you know, Brother Ratner said, you've got to preach against these uh, false gods. You've got to preach against these false idols. You've got to tell them how to... And I'm like, they are going to literally kill me if I do. I, I, can you imagine what Peter must have been feeling preaching to all of these and convicting them the way that he was? But he did it fearlessly. Why? Because he knew it was accurate. We studied that last night. He knew what he was saying was true. See, it's not like today when you see things. If I've heard that once, I've heard that a hundred times, and I'm so sick of hearing it when I turn on the TV. Someone's saying, well, I know my truth. You ever heard anybody say that? Well, I know my truth. You've got your truth. I've got my truth. What they're saying is there's not any truth. My truth can be whatever it wants to be. Your truth can be whatever it wants to be. So we can do whatever we want to do. Sound like the book of Judges again. Everybody doing what's right in their own eyes, don't it? But Peter here knows what the truth is. And that that truth will set them free. 
So he, he's confident, as long as he's, if we're confident what we're saying is true, because we've got the accurate information, so Peter is delivering this in a way to where they should logically understand it, to where we see that it does what it's supposed to do, it cuts them to the heart. You know, I've heard people say, oh, preacher, you, you stepped on my toes today. If that's true, then we missed where we was aiming. God's Word doesn't step on our toes. It should prick our hearts. Because that's where obedience is. That's where it starts. But that's what Peter is telling him. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now notice, I've got to move on. Uh, Peter used revelation. Notice what he starts to do. Now he brings them around to Jesus. And he gets to the, the true matter of actually what's going to convict them. And uh, he talks about the miracles of Jesus, verse 22. Notice, he said, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, uh, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourself, now notice, also know. So notice what he says, first of all. When he talks about the miracles of Jesus, he says, uh, Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God. In other words, proof presented. He, he did things where you've seen them, you couldn't deny that it, that it was true. And we can go into a lot of things uh, that he did, but when I want us to talk first about the miracles and wonders and signs. Uh, Roper says this when it comes to the miracles, wonders, and signs. He's not talking about different things that occurred. It's all the same thing. He said miracles are the thing which was done. So they did the miracle, and what did it do? It brought about wonder. The effect of it was, okay, they did the miracle, that, that's what they, that was the action they were doing, and it brought about wonder, and then the signs was the purpose. All of this was a purpose. It was to confirm who he was, that he was truly the Son of God. And Peter is telling them, you can't deny the miracles that you saw. Now they tried to deny it. They tried to discredit it. They tried to even... Uh, kill individuals that were involved in it. That's what ultimately uh, uh, brought them to this power struggle with Jesus of killing him. They couldn't uh, uh, deny that he brought Lazarus back from the dead. So from that point on, they, they started this process to say, we've got to get rid of this man. We, we, we can't deny what he's doing anymore. The dead's walking around. So Peter tells them, you know what he did. This Jesus, whom you've seen his miracles, that brought about wonders to you, and then notice what he goes on and tells them. He goes on to the crucifixion. Now this is what's known as the bad news of the sermon. You know, there's always, always got to be some doom and gloom and some bad news. He brings a little bad news to them. In verse 23, he says, Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Now can you imagine Steve, uh, uh, Peter standing there and as he's bringing this message, these individuals in the crowd, I could almost see him pointing, that's you crucified. You put to death. The one that you've seen the miracles, you've seen what he did, you've seen him raise the dead, you've seen him heal the sick, you've seen him feed the 5,000, you've, you've seen all of this because he was attested to you. He was proved. He was accredited. You can't deny it. And what did you do with him? You crucified him and put him to death by lawless hands. Now, some say the lawless hands is talking about uh, the Roman soldiers who physically did it. And it could be talking about that. They physically did it. 
But who really crucified him? The very people that Peter's talking to. These devout Jews. The, these, these religious leaders. These a little above the best. You know, that were the holier than thou. That, that stood on the street corner and struck a pose and, and thought they could be here, uh, uh, heard by God by their long prayers and their big words and how they beat themselves up and say, Oh, look at me fasting and oh, look at the, the, the pity that I am and the, the problems that I have and look how I've sacrificed my life. And Peter said, You crucified the Son of God. I wonder how they felt then. I mean, this, this has got to take some boldness. This, this is some fearlessness for Peter to be able to do this. But notice, Peter is the one who denied the Lord. Peter is the one who, who thought that it was going to be an earthly kingdom and how, at first, that how they need to, need to battle. Remember, he was going to cut off the head of the Roman soldier and he ended up ducking and cutting his ear off. He was willing to fight, but he also denied the Lord. He also, you know, he, 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 his faith wasn't quite what Peter thought it was. But notice how Peter had grown, and now he's bold enough, he's fearless enough, and I, and I believe that's exactly why the Lord picked him. I bet people wondered, why would you pick an old cussing fisherman? Why would you pick somebody so hot-headed as that? Why would you pick somebody so, you know, just fly by the seat of the pants as Peter was, just say whatever he was thinking? Why would you pick somebody like that? Look what the Lord was able to do with him. Put him in the right place at the right time, and Peter was able to prepare himself so he was ready for this. Who else could convict them like Peter's doing here? Who else was, is able to do that? Who's able, who, whoever, uh, who else would have the mouth that Peter had? But he was able to rein it in to where he could preach that accurate, true message. And the message is, you crucified the Son of God. I, I can almost picture him standing there a minute letting that sink into them. You know, them looking around, who, me? I'm the one who did that? Absolutely, they were the ones that did that. But then he went to the resurrection. And here is a, here's where uh, Peter needs to describe something to them. He needs to get them to recognize and understand uh, the resurrection. Because it's not just about the crucifixion, it's about the resurrection. I'm not going to go in and read every one of that, but I want to hit the highlights of it. In verses 24 and 32, it was observable. Jesus just wasn't raised from the dead and went and hid somewhere in the dark. He was seen by a few individuals, more individuals, and then thousands of individuals. He didn't hide. He made himself known. You know, there was a discussion about you know, his resurrected body, that we're supposed to have a resurrected body that's incorruptible, that's a, you know, a perfect body. Why did he still have the scars? I think it was for this reason. Remember when his disciples asked him about it, he didn't just stand at a distance and say, oh, it's me. He went up to him, look. Does this look like me? Does this look like somebody that's been hung on the cross? Do you see the holes? He made sure they knew it was him. Made sure that they knew he was resurrected from death. It wasn't that they just stole the body and hid it somewhere, or he went and hid in the night. He made sure they seen it. And that's what Peter is describing here. It was observable. It was inevitable. He describes in verse 24 how that's the way it was going to be. He even quoted David out of Psalms. 
where David wasn't talking about himself, and Peter's going to get into that. He was talking about the Lord. He didn't leave his soul in Hades, but he brought him back. He didn't leave him there like everybody else. He brought him back, said it was inevitable. It was part of God's plan. It was historical, verses 25 through 28. He said, you look around. It doesn't have, even today, we don't have to look around just in the Bible. We can look at historical facts of individuals that have seen him, that have witnessed him, and the writings that they have. Then you have that it's explainable, verses 29 through 32. Here's where he gets in because he starts talking about it. He says, now here's the thing. Here's how we know it wasn't David talking about himself because David's tomb's over there. We've still got his bones. Jesus isn't there. David is. And here's why this is so important. Peter is talking to a group of individuals who in their minds were, were picturing a Messiah that was going to come and physically take over power and going to put them in power here with him on earth and they were going to reign physically. They couldn't imagine that he would come like he was. That's why they crucified him. And now what Peter is saying, even more from the crucifixion, is that he rose again. You crucified him and he is the true Messiah because he rose again. David wasn't talking about himself there in the Psalms. He was talking about Jesus. Because David's bones is over there. And every one of them knew it. You see how he's laying the foundation? He, he, he's doing it bit by bit to let them know what they've done. But it's not all bad news. Uh, Peter gets into some good news, as we know, toward the end of the lesson. But he's getting them where they're cutting to the heart here. And we're going to see tonight as different than tomorrow night with Stephen, and both of them were cut to the heart with the audience that they spoke to, and they reacted different. Because you've only got two responses. When you're cut to the heart, you're either going to accept it or rebel against it. And we see here that uh, uh, many of the ones that listened to Peter accepted it. Then he talks about the ascension and the position. He says, in verse, starting in verse 33, Therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out that which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into heaven. There's where he's making his remark. David didn't ascend into heaven. Uh, but he says uh, himself, The Lord has said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, Till I make your enemies your footstools. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly That God has made this Jesus, Whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He's letting them know, it's not David, because we've got David's bones over there. This Lord, this one that you crucified, he's serving at the right hand of God. He's, he's king, but not the kind of king that you thought about. The kind of king that he is is the one that's reigning in heaven, and we want to be joint heirs with him, but you crucified him, and he rose again, and he ascended to the Father, and you better do something about it. You better do something about it. But here, again, he's, he's proving his case to them. Now, what's some application? I think I've got a little time for some application here because what's a sermon if we can't apply it to ourselves, right? Readiness and our responsibility. We see with Peter that Peter, even with all his struggles and, and how he did in his life, Peter prepared himself and he was ready for the responsibility that God laid before him. Now, the more I thought about this lesson, the more I thought about it. I was mowing today, and I, I was thinking about this very point of, of being ready. And the opportunities in my life I may have missed because I wasn't ready. 
I didn't prepare myself for it. I, I, I was in the right place in the right time, but I wasn't ready. Or maybe because of, of my actions, I wasn't in the right place at the right time. I missed that chance. It may have been a blessing uh, that, that I could have had. Or it may have been a blessing to someone else by an opportunity that I was able to do for them. But I just wasn't ready. You know, our responsibility as a Christian is not just to come in, make a confession, be dunked in the water, and sit on the pew. It's much more than that. It's not about just busyness in church either. It's about truly being a service. We need to make a difference. What, what Peter was doing here in his sermon and what all the apostles were doing while they were with Jesus and they see him afterwards, they made a difference. They, they, they made a difference to those that are around them. People that they were around were aware of them. You know, as Matthew chapter 5 says, that a city can't be set on a hill, can it? Uh, we can't light a, uh, a candle and put it under a bushel. You know, the world needs to see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. So we should be making a difference to those that are around us. Peter was ready to make a difference in these individuals' lives, and they needed it. But what if Peter wasn't ready? What if Peter didn't go and wait? What if he was somewhere else fishing or somewhere else and fell asleep? He needed to be ready, and that's what uh, we need to make sure that we are. We need to realize that logic is our friend. I believe the, something that's the most devastating against the truth is the fact that we think that we're smarter than it is, that we're smarter than God's Word, that we try to think ourselves over it, that we make more out of it, and sometimes it really is, and we just make a mess of it. If we just use logic and we use reasoning, not our own preconceived notions, not our own preconceived ideas, like we learned last night, we get a lot of information from a lot of different places, but does that make it true? You know, what I need to make sure is I'm using logic and I'm t taking all the information that I can, even if it means, now this is the kicker, even if it means I'm wrong. I'm talking as a Christian. There's things in which we, we study. There's things in which we do. There's things that I look back on my life of things that I argued that I realize now I was wrong. I hadn't studied it as fully as I need to. I didn't have all the experience that I needed to go with it. I didn't add the logic that I needed to for it. And I realized on that particular subject I was wrong. I didn't have it right. But what it is is we, we will deny those things and we will deny the evidence that's out there, and we won't use logic, and we're too stubborn to admit it. And we can go down a wrong path if, we, if we're not careful. So we've got to make sure to use logic first and foremost. Take out all of our preconceived ideas, take out all of our preconceived notions, and just take the truth for what it is, no matter what it is. And that's, that's hard to do. But it's the most simple thing to do. We need to use logic. And that's how Peter started out his lesson. Scripture is our miracle. Scripture is what proves to us who God is, who Jesus was, what he says for us to do. It should bring about wonder to us and be that sign to us of what God is going to do and who he is. Because all that I know of God is what he tells me, right? Right? 
All that I know of God is what he reveals. All I know of his son is what he reveals. Peter here is revealing something to these individuals that he knows is true. So he's able to confidently do it. Now, he was inspired, and and he had that power behind him, but remember what Paul said in Romans 1.16? I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation. Ephesians 3.20, Paul says that he is able to do for us far abundantly more than we can ask or think according to that power that's in us. It's his word. So we need to use it as our miracle that's to us. So we can take that information and be at the right place in the right time and be ready to give a defense, as Peter tells us to do. And Peter was able to do here. So are we using uh, that kind of logic and that kind of uh, readiness and having that kind of... uh, that kind of love for the truth. So we talked about last night, we've got through two nights now, we talked about last night of how we can know the accuracy of God's Word. We can see tonight from one individual of how to fearlessly present that message and defend that message to individuals that need to hear it. Now Peter delivered some pretty tough stuff to them, some pretty bad news that cut them to the heart. But over 3,000 obeyed what he said to do. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the name of, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Peter accomplished what he was supposed to accomplish. But now it's up to us. Are we going to accomplish the things that God wants us to accomplish? So I appreciate you listening. We got through that, but I think with two minutes to spare, had to get in a little bit of auctioneer mode, but we did it. <laughs>